Hi, everybody. So Shannon's in the field this week with her class in New Mexico doing some mapping and having all kinds of fun taking a group of about 36 students camping. So we actually had to record the show a little bit early, just to let you know. Ninety percent of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information. But don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you doing? Great, John. Just getting ready for my field trip in New Mexico, where it's supposed to be super sunny and warm, so I'm excited about that. How are you? That would be great, actually, uh, because it's so still kind of cold, and we're still in the process <laughs> of thawing out here. So that sounds like uh, a really nice place to go, but no, things are going pretty well here, just staying nice and busy. Uh, yeah, I hear that. Um, so I know one of your ways to stay nice and busy is to play with your brand new iPad, right? Is that what you call productivity? <laughs> well, yes, it's uh, kind of meta productivity, I guess. I'm, I'm being productive on using productive tools. Uh, oh, that's one of my favorite terms. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I I did upgrade my iPad. I had a an iPad that was several years old now, and so it wasn't wasn't handling the most recent version of iOS so well. Planned uh, so obsolescence. Uh, yes, a little bit of planned <laughs> obsolescence there on the hardware part. But uh, no, so I got a new iPad, and I'm actually really enjoying it. And it made me kind of go back through the apps and the workflows that I had and to help me get work done. And so I've been thinking about that quite a bit, uh, both with the iPad and you know the iPhone 6 Plus, which is what I carry daily, which is practically a mini iPad. Uh, yeah. Um, before we start this, I really want to put down for the record books that I already have a newer iPad. So I out technology you <laughs> in this. But as we've talked about a lot too, um, you know, we talk about using iPads in the field and everything. So I think I have a lot of apps that you may or may not be familiar with and that a lot of other geosciences may be interested, geoscientists may be interested in as well. Yeah, I think we're actually going to have kind of a, a fun back-and-forth rundown through some of our top apps. Sounds good to me. Do you want to go ahead and start us off on what iPad app you can't live without? <laughs> I will, but before I actually let uh, the name of the app go, I do want to say that even though we like these apps, we, of course, are not sponsored, and these are not of you know, official recommendations or endorsements. These are just things that we like and that we use. And we realize that not everyone would like them or necessarily has bought into the iPhone, iPad infrastructure, right? Uh, yes, and I will say in the effect of full disclosure that my primary uh, tablet is an Android tablet. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> right, but a lot of the tools that we're going to talk about have equivalents on different mobile operating systems. They may just not necessarily be called the same app. Uh, right, exactly. And that's actually been quite um, a struggle to find things that go across both platforms. But I think everyone that uses any technology understands that. So um, I've got my iPad out instead of my Samsung Galaxy Tab to talk about uh, the apps that we're going to talk about today. All right. So my first pick for this this kind of countdown was OmniFocus, <laughs> and this is, it's on the iPhone, it's on the iPad, and it's on the Mac, so it's everywhere and syncs. 
Everywhere and, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what does it do? It, it's basically a task management system, a really powerful task management system. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with the getting things done philosophy of David Allen? Um, I've heard about it, but if you could see my desk right now, you'd understand that I don't get much done. Like there are piles <laughs> everywhere. Um, how about you uh, update me on what exactly the tenets of this are? All right, so getting things done, or GTD, as a lot of people uh, call it, <laughs> is this idea of you don't want to carry around a lot of information in your brain because that's going to clog up. You know, you only have so much mental bandwidth, to use a kind of a computer analogy here. Okay, you don't okay. want to have all of these things floating around in your mind. You want to have a clear mind to be able to focus on your work. Okay. And so the idea of getting things done, and of course there's lots of tenets of it, and I highly recommend you read his book, which is supposed to get an update uh, very soon. Oh. Uh, one of the big things is you have to have a trusted system. You have to have somewhere that you can put everything you need to do, even if it's two years away, somewhere you can put it. So I've, OmniFocus is my digital form of that. And then actually in my office, as uh, is recommended in the book, I have a folder for every day of the month and then one folder for every month of the year. Uh, so say I get, uh, there's a concert coming up. I'll set a task in OmniFocus to buy concert tickets the day they go on sale. And then when I get my concert tickets, I'll put them in the, the month folder for, you know, it's six months away. I'll stick it in the folder. And then when that month comes around, boom, there they are. I don't have to go looking for them. I don't forget to buy them. Uh, it's a really nice planning tool. So these folders that of which you speak are actual like actual folders, not digital folders. Yes, they are actual physical folders to hold the things that I can't put into this digital system when I actually do have to carry paper around. Okay, so does this OmniFocus does it have like a calendar and stuff too, or what is it? Because I use Evernote for these same things. So how does OmniFocus work? Well, OmniFocus, it can tie into your calendar, uh, so okay. it will show calendar events, but it's not meant to organize that kind of hard landscape of you have to do these things at these times. Okay. It's a, it's a task-based system, so you'll have many okay. projects and many tasks to complete those projects. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And so, I mean, one of the nice things about it is it lets you sort by, say, the context. Okay. So... Uh, there are some tasks that we have to do in the lab, right? Or right. some tasks that have to be done at a computer or at home or they're errands. So you can make oh. all of these and they're in projects. So I can, if I just want to work on a certain project, I can go to that project view and see all the tasks I have for that. But let's say I'm already in town because, you know, I ran out of something to eat at the office and that's actually pretty common for me, <laughs> and I have to go downtown. Well, while I'm downtown, I'll pull up uh, OmniFocus on my iPhone and tap the errands view, and I'll see everything that I need to do. And, well, if there's something that is listed as an errand that's on my way to get lunch, I might as well go ahead and check that off. That's excellent. So when you sit down in the lab, because you're GTD, getting things right. done, you've already dumped all this crap of stuff you've got to do in the lab. So you can just pull up the lab tab without even remembering a specific a specific task, and then there they all are for you? Right. Or if my advisor wants to know the status of a current project, I pull up that specific project and say, here's what I have yet to get done. 
Oh. And some of those will be in the lab. Some of them, so it's multiple views of the exact same oh, data. Oh, so it'll be. Oh, so it'll grab. How, do you like tag it digitally? Tag it or something so it will grab everything. Right. So you digitally tag. Uh, you tag a project and you tag a context, and then you can set defer ah. dates and due dates and that kind of thing. So I have you know recurring tasks. On, we talked about on the backup show, uh, and I mentioned that in my system I had mm -hmm. a way. So right. every month a task comes up uh, and says, change your backup hard drives. And when I click it, OmniFocus knows because I set rules to make a new task that's the exact same thing and defer it exactly one month. So I won't see it again for a month. And then it pops up and says, you need to do this again. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to get that right now. I'm pretty excited about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say it's a little expensive, so you might have some sticker shock when you go to the App Store. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah, the iPhone version is uh, $19.99. The iPad version is $29.99. And the Mac version, standard is $39 or Pro is $79. Whoa! <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever bought an app over $10. So, I okay, I'm just going to think about if I need that one then. <laughs> right. But I'm guessing it's you think it's totally worth the money. It's worth checking out. It's it's worth the money for me because once you actually invest in some system, right? Any any system, as long as you stick with it and it's consistent and you trust it. That's the big thing is you have to be able to trust it not to lose tasks or not to let things go unnoticed or uncompleted. Right, because once you take it from your brain, much like Dumbledore putting his memories into his pensieve, you forget about them. <laughs> yes, I've been watching a lot of Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> so you want to forget about them. That's absolutely true. I didn't think about the fact that you have to trust that everything is on there. So right. and, I guess that's you know, worth in, the money then. In academic projects, and as an academic, you have many things going on. And right now, you know, I'm juggling that on the academic side and uh, helping plan my own wedding on the <laughs> other side. Yeah, and having done that already, there's a lot to do there, too. <laughs> right. So having a system like this keeps you sane. But I think we should uh, maybe go on because we don't want this to get too long, and we could have an entire show on task management, I think. Uh, yeah, I think every one of these we could have an entire show on, that's for sure. Um, so in that same vein, sort of the, the thing that I've put all my investment into is Evernote. And there's a lot, you know... I use all of my apps on a very thin level. Like, I don't know how to use them to their deepest and fullest potential, I think. And Evernote is one of those apps, like, you can easily pick it up really quick and do what you need it to do. You can make notebooks, you can make notes, you know, you can make check-off to-do lists, and it'll give you reminders and everything. But I think if you delve even deeper, it's a really powerful sort of task management app itself. I just don't know how to use it yet. <laughs> but I do have a lot of different notebooks, and you can search them, much like you were talking about in OmniFocus, um, to you know find these things that I just randomly jot down. And the one thing I really like about it is it tells you, it like basically geotags your notes. And to me, that's a good way of remembering if I forget to like name the note or something, and I can be like, what's that note I wrote when I was in Canada at that meeting? And I can just type in, you know, Canada, and it's going to bring up the notes I made in Canada. Wow, that's that's really cool. I didn't realize that uh, Evernote went so deep. I mean, I have it, but generally what I've done is uh, throw stuff in there that at some point I may need to reference in the future, but I I probably open the the app once a week. Okay. Yeah, and and like I said, I don't I think that I am 
also not using it to its full potential, but I did get it premium for free when I bought my Android tablet. And so I think maybe some of these things you'd have to pay for, you know, in a, above and beyond the, the free app. Um, but I like it a lot. And it also has a companion app that I know you've been using lately too, right? Yeah. So that's uh, penultimate, right? You're right. Right, exactly. So I bought one of these little JotScript pens, stylus pens, because I really like writing. Like I try to, I used to keep a non-digital planner. Those those exist. <laughs> so right. a paper calendar. <laughs> but, you know, I find that I'm always carrying my digital stuff with me. So I thought maybe if I buy this digital pen, then I will use Penultimate in conjunction with Evernote more, as opposed to having all these sticky notes everywhere. <laughs> So did that happen, or are you still uh, buried in an office space-looking st- situation? <laughs> uh, yeah, I still have sticky notes coming out everywhere, <laughs> all around. Um, <laughs> I haven't gotten into it yet. Um, my kid likes to color with it. Um, but actually, I did take it out to the field once, and I used to take a whiteboard. <laughs> right. Yeah, I used to take a whiteboard out, and uh, you know, so I'd have my handful of markers, and because different colors, because if I'm trying to sketch a geologic feature or something, I need different colors. And so that got cumbersome. And there were white pens, marker pens everywhere. If you accidentally grab a Sharpie, then you've ruined your whiteboard. But I just whipped out my iPad and I had my little penultimate jot script pen and drew some geologic features. I could change the colors, erase them, do whatever. And it actually worked really well. Hmm. That's, a, that's an interesting use case for it, actually. Uh, so I also bought the same stylus and I've been playing with it. You know, I'm going through a a book right now trying to teach myself some uh, new filter theory things. And I normally, I would take these notes on paper and then I would either take pictures of them, which we'll talk about later, or actually cut the notebook apart. I would clamp it in the vice at work and use the hacksaw and (laughs) cut the binding off the notebook and scan it. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to do this, taking all of my notes digitally now, and it's something that it's taking some getting used to, but I think I can get there eventually. <laughs> well, I think if we at least just think of all the trees that we're saving, even though, you know, that JotScript pen isn't the exact weight and feel of my favorite pen, I'm still doing a better job by trying to keep it digital. I think that's a really good point, too. So, Yeah, and... I'm sure at some point we'll actually talk about writing instruments more. I know we did back in the uh, field gear episode. <laughs> and uh, if you're cu- curious about that, you should go check out the Pen Addict podcast. But that's all we'll we'll say about writing instruments for now, not to get off track. <laughs> yeah, because we could go on for days. <laughs> so um, what else you got on your list of apps that you can't live without? Well, I would say next uh, is Overcast. And Overcast is a podcatcher. Okay, so why can't I just do that in iTunes? You can, but I don't really think that the iTunes podcast uh, download and play features really are that robust. Overcast has this really interesting thing called Smart Speed, where it looks at the audio signal of the podcast, and it takes silences and removes them. So you're automatically listening to the show a little bit. I mean, you're saving minutes listening to every show because all the silences, the breaks in conversation are gone. And (laughs) 
<laughs> this is great, and it's really it's really funny because my my friend Stacy listens to podcasts at one and a half times the speed, so she can get more podcasts in. So everyone sounds like chipmunks. But this is really great. So obviously, other people care about this sort of thing too. I had no idea. Well, and then you can listen. You can speed them up even more. You can go up to two times speed. Um, <laughs> I normally Please. play. Most of my podcasts at one and a quarter times speed, but they have a really smart way to do this where it actually tries to not make people sound like chipmunks. It tries to correct Oh, really? That. Yes. And it does an okay job. And it also has voice boost so that if you have a podcast where one person is a little bit quieter than the other uh, or it has a large dynamic range of volume, it will level that out for you as you're listening. It's a really, really great application. So... I bet it washes out all my guffawing laughter then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do we do levelization before this show goes out. Okay. <laughs> you need to with me. Um, uh, Overcast, were you drawn to that by your affinity for things meteorological? No. So I actually, I was using a different podcast client, or podcatcher originally that was called Instacast. And I liked it because it was on the iPad, it was on the iPhone, and it was on the Mac. It, they had a Mac app. Mm. Uh but the syncing had issues that kept getting worse and worse. So I eventually switched over to Overcast, and the app is free, uh, but there are some limits to like how many playlists and things you can make. But to get smart speed and all that, it's four ninety nine to unlock it uh, fully. Oh, okay. And the developer, Marco Armet, is incredibly responsive on Twitter and is doing a lot of beta testing of some really cool features. And you can open it up in your web browser and play the... Oh, play the podcast when you're sitting at work as well. Oh, nice. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's my next pick. What's yours? Um, well, I'm going to go straight into weather because that's what Overcast reminded me of. Um, okay. so as most of you probably already know or will recall, John and I both have meteorology degrees and we're a bit of weather weenies, which is what we all like to call ourselves. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> my first weather sort of subscription service because that's what it started as many many years ago was to a service called WeatherTap and so WeatherTap has all sorts of things so radar data from all over the U.S. and not only just radar data but you can manipulate the radar data because the radar takes data in a lot of different modes and so if you know anything about it it's useful to be able to use these different modes when you're watching storms you can look at velocities so wind speeds wind directions stuff like that um as well as all kinds of other data so lightning data um storm report data and now it's a one-time uh you can you know buy it for 9.99 one-time app that has a great um interface and i really hmm. like it for like it brings in like weather service forecasts for different areas as well as all the radars and what i really like about WeatherTap is that it has storm reports on it too yeah that's really really handy uh, yeah, because they, they show up as just these little boxes. And so you can see these little boxes all over the country. And you can click on them, and it'll give you the actual storm report that was sent into the weather service. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I actually don't have this app, but I think I will probably by the end of this podcast. <laughs> so you use an app that I also use, but um, a different one, Radar Scope. But the the weather tap advantage to me is the storm reports. Number one, because I think it's fun to read, especially if you get 
you know, somebody that just happens to be out in the desert. And I saw some really great stuff like, you know, cacti down or <laughs> these, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> these weather reports that come into the weather service that are kind of funny. And all of those get posted. And it's really easy to see like storm totals of either rain or snow just at a glance instead of having to sort of dig deeper for it. Hmm. Yeah, so I'll actually kind of bounce off that there and go to a radar scope, which you mentioned. And this is an app that has evolved, you know, some of the early, one of the first iPad apps that looked at radar data uh, was called Storm Spotter. And then that kind of later on down the road uh, was co-developed, uh, that developer and the developers of Radar Scope are now together and make this one wonderful app that I really love because the graphics are great, the interface is great. You can look at all of the radar products. Uh, so with dual polarization radar, you can see, you know, ZDR and all these different things. And you can also draw on the radar. Which <laughs> I've used that feature a lot. You can get ranges and you can show things. You can project it. It's, it's really wonderful. And I know some of the broadcast people really like it. Um, the, the graphics in Radar Scope are phenomenal. And on my new Samsung Galaxy tab, they're amazing. Like, it's just, it's amazing how far this technology has come in like 10 years. But the Radar Scope stuff, the graphics are just unbelievable and i i know during storm season especially here in oklahoma i've sent several uh screen captures of me drawing on the radar and saying your house is here and here's the big tornado pointing at it so you should you know hide <laughs> and i've used that several times actually yes and i mean I, it'll plot your position on the map if you know you've got gps really uh, accurately is, too yeah so it's really nice i've used it several times going down the road and have <laughs> planned my meal breaks uh, conveniently to not have to drive through horrible weather. <laughs> All this focus on food. We're not talking about food apps, but it's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's that's kind of my next pick. Uh, what do you have up next? So all the next of my picks are really all geology related. So I threw out my one rather related one, but the rest are um, sort of geology apps that I've either students have told me about. A lot of them are actually ones that I've gotten suggestions from my students. And the first one of those is called Earth Primer. And this app is mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. So a few weeks ago, Shannon told me about this and said it's $9, but it's worth it. And I thought, oh, $9 for. It's it's worth the $9. If you have an <laughs> iPad, you should go immediately and download Ex this. Exactly. Because if you're listening to us, you're already sort of interested in earth science in general. And this thing is unbelievable. It's basically set up like a book, like an interactive book. So not only does it have really awesome graphics, it has really awesome sort of, you know, earthy music to go along with it. Um, but so it's set up like a book and it has all the different parts of the earth from like the core, to the mantle, to the crust, to volcanoes, to tectonic plates. Um, and what it does is it tells you a little bit about some sort of geologic process, and then it gives you a little model of the Earth and tells you to play with it and make that geology happen. Right. So you can look at uh, a 3D model with some sand and use your finger to impose wind fields on it and watch dunes form and move. Or Right. So there are, and just, just this week in my um, intro geology class, we talked about different kinds of dunes. So there's like seven different kinds of dunes that we were talking about, which is by no means the amount of dunes that are out there. 
And so we actually pulled up the sandbox in this app and I projected it and you could change the wind and have them make different dunes. And so you could have students come up to the front and just change the wind speed and be like, see how this is formed? Because they're not always intuitive. But I think when you touch this stuff, it really helps. But the greatest, it also has a water feature and a biome feature. But what is the greatest thing about this, which I don't even know how they did this. But it's not just illustrating one geologic process. So if you make, for example, one of the things you can do is like make a volcano. Right. Okay. So you drag hot magma up from the core or from the mantle. And you make this volcano, and you can make the plate that that's on move. So, great. It does that. But it also shows the interaction of the plates with other plates on the Earth on that same model. So it's not just like a one-dimensional sort of, this is how you make a volcano, but we're going to ignore everything else that happens. It takes all of that into account. Like in the sandbox that John was just talking about, you can make it start raining, and when it starts to rain, trees grow. (laughs) Yeah, and even just the the plate things that it does, there are things that, uh, as a geologist, you'll recognize that they don't talk about because maybe it's a little bit more advanced topic, but the simulation actually does encompass those. Like I noticed the other day, it looked like you could get it to uh, reproduce Wilson cycles if you waited long enough. You can. Yes. It's unreal. So there's a sea level one, and you can use do like cyclical deposition like John was just saying. And then it also, if you create enough water, you start to create clouds. I don't know if you've noticed that in there. In the, where, there's, where there's no land, you don't get clouds. But as soon as you put water in your little box that you're building of earth, as soon as you put water, it starts to get clouds and rain on your landscape. Hmm. So yeah. I think this is a, a really good teaching tool. And I, know I just sat here and spent probably an hour the night that I downloaded it just playing with it. It was a lot of fun. It's inv- it's an invaluable resource for anyone that teaches anybody of any age, I think. It's it's way worth the money. Right. So maybe we should go on to uh, another one of yours because when, when you throw it back to me, I'm afraid I'm going to pull us out of the geology <laughs> realm a little bit. Okay, so I'll just mention a few because a lot of these I haven't used, but they have been um, suggested to me. Um, so one that I... That I personally like because, as we talked about last week on the show, um, you know, I'm a field geologist, so topo maps are what I use to do geology. Um, and Trimble, who is a fish finder company, but they also make very high-end GPS units, um, has a My Topo Maps app. And so there's a free version, and then there's a money you can pay to get all kinds of other stuff. But the free version is actually quite robust. As long as you have an internet connection, you can download billions of Topo maps. <laughs> and it's quite awesome. It comes with a little um, compass in it, too. But if you pay the extra money, which is only like 29 bucks a year, which to me is nothing, um, based on what it gives me. I can download maps and have like offline projects all set up so I can take my iPad out in the field and don't have to worry about, you know, having signal to move around on my map because I've already, you know, downloaded it and you can make all kinds of different trips and connect associated topo maps with trips and I really love it. Um, But there are other things to use in the field and these are the ones that I haven't really used. But um, iGeolog is one of them and it helps you make stratigraphic columns so i don't know if you remember doing that in class john but those can be a pain on paper 
I do, and actually the way we did it was with a Excel workbook. Oh. <laughs> it's not even a macro, is it? Was it, no. was it a macro? It was worse It was uh, setting cell backgrounds to different patterns and then <gasps> changing the width of the cell for the grain size representation. It was <laughs> oh a very time-consuming process. Oh, no. No, okay, so this is... It has a little bit of a steep learning curve because I haven't even quite gotten a hold of it yet, but it is uh, leaps and bounds. I'm sort of speechless at how much better it is than what you apparently used, but it uh, right. has. <laughs> and, you know, I, I will go ahead and say that I generally don't use Excel unless forced. <laughs> um, and this was one of the more interesting uses of Excel that I'd seen. <laughs> so uh, John complains about Excel quite a lot. And so after that sort of experience, I always forget, like, that would make me hate it a little bit too, I think. <laughs> right. So uh, what else do you have in your uh, either your tool bag or your student-recommended tool bag? <laughs> right. So there's two more that I have found. Um, one more thing about iGeolog, because this is the best, is that you can put in little symbols for different types of fossils. and. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's really helpful. But the other thing is they're kind of cute little bugs too. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Um, geo field book is one. And so every geologist has a field book. And it's usually this bright orange or bright yellow field book. And so this is the digital version of that. So it literally has this big orange cover on it. And you could flip the pages just like you can in a field book. But the coolest part about it, and I took this out personally mapping, is that it has within it, you can take photos of what you're doing. And so you go out in the field and you take photos of stuff all the time. But this saves those photos onto your field page. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> can you also draw on it like you can sort of in penultimate? Or is it just photos and typing text? It's just photos and typing text. Um, oh. But I will say, I know. <laughs> I will say it's a free app, and it's pretty impressive. I bought a few other ones that I'm not impressed with, not at all. And that's the coolest thing, but that is the bad part. You can't actually draw on it either. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's something maybe the developers will I Man, I hope so, because it's really neat. Um Okay, so my last one is sort of just another for fun, kind of like Earth Primer. Um, anyone who looks at geology in the United Kingdom, they may be already familiar with this, but it's called just iGeology. And <laughs> the best part about it is the tagline is Britain's rocks in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and it has over, it's this interactive geologic map of the UK and it has tons and tons of geologic maps so as you zoom in it gives you geologic maps of the area and all over um, the United Kingdom it's I, I do some field work in Scotland and you know this would have been really great to have when I was there because it's a really robust tool yeah and I mean if if last week's show got you interested in geologic maps this would be a great place to start and just look at a bunch of geologic maps and kind of get a feel for what they show. Uh, that's exactly right. Like, it's just fun to pull up just for a minute even just to sit there and look at it because the more you look at geology, the more you want to look at the geologic maps, the more that maps can teach you. And this is a great, great app for that because it's sort of fun um, and it's really easy to use and you can use it really quickly and it's really 
uh, packed full of information. So that's sort of the, the list of geo apps that I have. All right. Well, I will uh, kind of go off your field book thing there for a minute and say that I use an app called Scanner Pro or Smile has one called PDF Pen Scan Plus or there's probably at least tens of these in the app store <laughs> that okay. let you use the camera on your iPhone or iPad or whatever device you're on as a scanner. Okay. And I find this really valuable because, okay, you, sure, you can take a picture with the camera app on your phone. Uh, right. So how's this different? Yeah. This actually, you take you know, however many pages you have, and then I can say whether I want it, black and white, grayscale, color, and then it just exports a PDF to my Dropbox. Oh, wow. Wow. So you take a picture of it, and then it turns it into a PDF. Right. And the uh, several of them, I think Scan Plus will do this also, they do OCR, so optical character recognition, on the text, and then it becomes a searchable oh. PDF. No kidding. How, how well does that work? Pretty well. If it's type text, it works great. If it's my handwriting, uh, it's <laughs> pretty sketchy. <laughs> and nothing works well on equations, of course. There is no uh, yeah. really good OCR for equations. Yeah, which is too bad, but I'm sure it's coming. Right, but I, I use this a lot for if I do take notes, if I'm in the lab or when I do get to go out to the field occasionally, or even if it's just a note that I scrolled down on a Post-it that I want <laughs> to save, I can do this and it exports it out in a standard format uh, to one of my little inboxes in Dropbox, and it's there for me to process. Uh, that's really cool. Um, so does this one cost a lot? or They range from free, and some of them are okay, some of them don't work so well up to you know a few bucks but they're not incredibly expensive uh i can see where this would be really good i know all the time i'm telling my students like just take a picture of your assignment if you can't make it and send it to me and i'd rather have it as a pdf than a jpeg so that would be great absolutely and also if you're in the field it's pretty good practice every night to do this because you never know what's going to happen to your field book Ooh, that's gonna make me nervous <laughs> You never know when the field book is going to go off a cliff into some area that you cannot get to. And all of your work from the last you know, week of mapping is in there. Uh, okay, so you've scared me into downloading this right this second. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. And as you know with paleomagnetism that I do, like your field book is your life. Like You can't do work without it. So, Absolutely. So it's always good to back up your paper documents because you never know what's going to happen. No, um, that's true. And that leads right in to my next app, which I'm guessing you probably have installed too, is Dropbox. Yes, yes. Dropbox was suggested to me by a PhD student who was writing his thesis. Um, this was a long time ago, and he said, you never want to you know, have all of your data on you or in your house. You have to have it somewhere else. And he said, you should try Dropbox. And I haven't looked back. I love it. It's a great, great website and data management system. Right. And we talked about in one of the earlier shows that Dropbox isn't necessarily a true backup solution, but it is somewhat <laughs> of, a, of a safeguard. It's, uh, it's like back, backups for dummies. That's what I kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> the nice thing is it keeps everything in sync across your computers. And 
Granted, for some of my writing and some of my projects, I use Git and Git repositories to do this, which that's an entirely another topic, and it can get pretty hairy. <laughs> but uh, if I'm writing a blog post or I have some photos or we use it for the show all the time, yes, uh, we can throw stuff up there in a shared folder and both get to it. One person can edit. The other person can see the edits. It's a really, really nice service. And it ties in with a lot of these mobile apps that we're talking about, like Scanner Pro. Oh, okay, great. That's That would so, be good. So it can grab stuff that you've scanned in and store it on the Dropbox then instead. Yeah, so not only is my paper backed up you know, by having this digital scan of it, the digital scan, as soon as I have cell service or Wi-Fi, goes up to Dropbox, and then it's on my computer in the office, on my computer at home, on my iPad, it's a really nice thing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I have this installed across all my different platforms too, and it is a wonderful, wonderful app. Okay, so I've just got three left, so hang in there with us. Uh, <laughs> one, and this will be really quick, is Fantastical. And okay. it ties into your, you know, your iCal account or Google calendars, whatever you use. Uh, but it's a really nice way to input calendar events. So you can open Fantastical and just type something like record podcast with Shannon next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Enter. And it's done. It puts it onto your calendar. So it would work with like Google Calendar or anything, anything else? It's not just an Apple thing? Yeah, it's not just meant for iCal. I know it works with Google Calendar. It probably could be uh, set up to work with CalDAV servers or something like that, but I'm not totally sure. I haven't had to do that. Oh, well, yes. You don't let anything Windows or anything resembling Windows touch your, <laughs> touch your <laughs> other technology, I know. Um, okay, that sounds really cool because that's really annoying when you have like 12 different things and you know you want to make sure it reaches all of your platforms. Yeah, and a lot of times, if I'm adding calendar events, you know, you don't want to sit there and count, okay, three weeks, okay, <laughs> here that is, and then double-click, and then enter all the stuff by clicking in all the little boxes. It's much easier to type a natural sentence. And hit oh, it. And, it, and it can, oh, okay. That's, uh, yeah, that is way better than... Yes, I mean, I was being very literal when I said I'd uh, yeah. type into Fantastical, <laughs> record podcasts with Shannon next Tuesday at 6 p.m., and it populates everything from that. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, excellent. Um, looks like it's got a bunch of really good reviews, too, so that's yeah, something I'm going to look it into. It is on the Mac as well, if anybody wants to do that. Uh, of course right. it is. <laughs> <laughs> next, do you use RSS feeds? Uh, no. All right. Well, I I use for a you know my feed reader or actually just my reader client uh, an app called Newsify, and basically what I've done is I go and I subscribe to all of these RSS feeds from different sites. Say Lifehacker, Gizmodo, a lot of journals have them, so you can subscribe oh, really? to the, the Science Feed. Uh, pretty much any Elsevier journal I think has them. Oh, okay, uh, and then. I just open this app up on my iPad when I'm getting my coffee in the morning, and it shows up as kind of like a newspaper of all the things that have come in overnight. So I can see papers that are getting published, uh, things that have been accepted, click on it, look at the abstract, look at the preprint, uh, keep up with news that's going on. You know, I've got some Apple uh, 
Apple blogs on there so I can get what the latest Mac rumors are because I have to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, all of you nerds have to do that. You're so <laughs> obsessed with any leakage out of uh, the Cupertino office. <laughs> right, and then just blogs of friends, too. Uh, you know, there are some of the AGU wow. blogs I like to keep up with, and I don't want to go check them all the time, uh, but I know when they have a new post because when I open this up in the morning, it shows up with a little badge by their blog. So I feel like every time I talk to John about stuff like this that I just feel shameful because if he could see my <laughs> desktop right now, I probably have, no exaggeration, 15 to 22 is what I counted, 22 tabs open. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I don't care if anyone gets anything out of this particular episode because I've downloaded all these things he's talking about right now. So... <laughs> Well, that sounds even, like it's going to make my life easy. Yeah, and you can even use a service like this isn't on the list, so this is uh, a freebie. Uh, Pocket, <laughs> which I actually, if I see an article, I want to read it, but I don't have time right now. And I'm in Safari on my computer or I'm in uh, Newsify, whatever. I just hit a little button, say save to Pocket, boom. And it goes to Pocket, and then I can read it offline on any of my devices. So when I'm on a plane, I can start going through and clearing out all, you know, the 200 articles I saved in pocket that I want to read but didn't have time to at that wow. time. Wow. I was going to just say that that's what I do with Pinterest, but no, I'd still have to be online. So you don't have to be online to do For that most things. It, it caches the text. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. I'm super excited about that one. What, what's your last one? Is it even better? <laughs> Well, we'll see. So my last one is back in the academic vein, and it's Papers, and specifically Papers 3, which is a reference manager software. Okay. Uh, do you use any kind of reference manager? Reference manager. I use EndNote. Okay. So I've heard people talk about EndNote. I'm, I've never used it myself. Does it actually hold the papers, you know, the PDFs of the papers, or does it just hold their citation information? Uh, no, it can hold the PDFs of the papers. It doesn't search for it on its own, like on your computer. You have to actually tell it where the PDF is, and it, you attach it, essentially, to the reference. So, okay. I mean, it's an extra step. You, it doesn't do it automatically, but it will hold it for you. EndNote is a ridiculously steep, I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, learning curve. Right. It's really hard. You have to devote, like, a good week to figuring it out, even how to use it. So, I think all of these are because managing papers and references is a really complicated business. Oh, yeah, it really is. And it's until you write like your master's thesis or your PhD, everyone always tells you to have a reference manager before you start. Like, I'm not kidding, have one because, wow, it's a pain. Because you think that you're going to keep up with those as you write, and you will not. It is... Not true. <laughs> Every single manuscript I write, having a reference manager saves me at least one day's worth of work. Oh, at least. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Uh, and it doesn't matter which one you use. There are lots of them. They all mostly do the same things. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. I like Papers, and Papers 3 is the new version. They got bought by Springer. Uh, oh, publishing oh, okay. House. Mm -hmm. So there's some new developments going on, which are pretty neat. Now, one of the things I really like now is you can tag the papers with keywords, and then you can make these smart collections. So let's say I have a paper on slow slip in New Zealand. I can tag it with something like slow slip. I can tag it with New Zealand. 
And then I can make a smart collection and say, show me everything that has the slow slip tag or show me everything that has a New Zealand tag or show me everything that has both. Okay. And my papers library now, you know, I'm pushing a thousand papers in there. So is this on the Mac too or you use this on your iPad as well? I use it on both. I actually use it on all of my mobile devices and my Mac. It syncs between them using Dropbox. Uh, So I do most of my major... Major things on the Mac, you know, like when I'm writing. Right, yeah. use it to insert references. But you can read papers on the iPad and do highlighting and draw on them and that kind of thing on the iPad, and then it will sync back up to your Mac. Oh, really? So then when you pull the paper up on your computer, does it have all your annotations from your iPad? It does. Oh, okay. So I, as far as I'm aware, you know, EndNote does not have that capability. So <laughs> that sounds really cool. And another nice thing is you can rip out, so you've highlighted all of the kind of important points, right? And mm-hmm. say you want to make uh, the beginning of a note sheet for this paper, you can go in and pull out all of the text that you highlighted and start taking wow. your notes from there. Wow. Okay. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm going to look that one up too. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does have some problems. There are some bugginess issues, especially with the freehand annotations, which are new. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. It's not perfect, but I've tried multiple reference managers. Uh, I tried Sente for a while. I was on Papers 2 before this. I was on Papers 1 before that. Uh, <laughs> I've tried quite a few things, and this is the one that I keep coming back to, at least for now. And oh, okay. I, I'm a little... It's heavy to move because when you move to a new reference manager, a lot of times you have to redo some of this tagging and collections, and it's very time-consuming. Uh, yes. Yes, it is. I threw my lot in with EndNote, and um, yeah, that's where I'm at now, but I could see where this would be a lot more useful. So, But speaking of papers... I think we should uh, <laughs> we should probably go ahead and go on to everybody's favorite segment, which is unfortunately still no cowbell. <laughs> Fun paper Friday. Yay! There's some some shaking noises. <laughs> All right. What did you pick out for us this week? This week I picked out a paper called "How to Construct the Perfect Sandcastle." Is this a paper or a children's book? (laughs) This is actually a paper. Uh, This was in Nature. Oh, okay. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's a scientific report from Nature. (laughs) Nature did actually publish a list of um, the best children's books to read to your burgeoning young scientist, too. But we can talk about that another fun paper Friday. (laughs) Was Calculus for Babies included in there? Oh, I didn't see it. I hope not, but... (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, how to construct the perfect sandcastle. So this paper actually looked at exactly that. Why does wet sand behave? You know, why can we make big sandcastles out of wet sand? Is there an optimal uh, wetting that you can use to get the maximum (laughs) cohesion? And this sounds like a totally crazy exercise. Uh, but no, I mean, it's it's very legitimate, sedimentologically speaking, actually. <laughs> well, it is, and they pointed out something that, you know, I work with granular material all the time in the laboratory. I'm shearing ground-up rocks or ground-up quartz or all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But there's a whole other branch of granular material handling that does things like packing uh, medicine into Tylenol pills. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it's a huge thing in business. Pressed. And in this mm-hmm. paper, they said that handling granular materials is about 10% of the world energy consumption. Wow. Wow. Uh, yeah. When I read that, that was really strange because you never think about that. You ever. don't. But I mean, if you think about it, almost everything you buy, uh, the coffee mug that we're drinking up now, it was at one time a granular material that was formed and packed. Uh, mm-hmm. Medicine that you that's take. True. Just about I mean, coffee, the coffee that it's a granular material. Uh, <laughs> a delicious granular material. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, we seem to somehow always bring these papers back to coffee. <laughs> or beer. Sometimes they come back to beer, but yeah, you're right. right. <laughs> uh, we'll have to do a Java stout next time. <laughs> oh, no. I fear that's some nerd computer thing, too, but that's okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no. So it's actually a huge thing in business and an energy concern. So this has implications that range far beyond geology as well. Yeah, that's true. But with the enticing enticing background of basically what's the greatest sandcastle material yeah and you know there's some theory apparently that had been done on this (laughs) and they said well the maximum sandcastle height is 20 centimeters that that's as good as you can do and i love this sentence in the paper it says this is in stark disagreement with the observation of sandcastle several meters high great <laughs> i i thought that we were missing a state fair picture in here i think that could have made the article more robust mm-hmm. <laughs> with the largest sandcastles but <laughs> so they uh they developed this new model and it turns out that the as the height of the sand column varies with you know it's kind of proportional to the radius at the base to the two-thirds power okay so uh, that seems it seems like seems- a reasonable thing Fairly and easy, yeah. They've got some. Ex- they've got a plot in here that is their experimental data points versus their model, and it turns out they fit pretty well. There's a little bit of a systematic offset, but they actually attribute that to removing the forms in the laboratory, actually disturbing <laughs> their sand column. <laughs> Which is the scariest part of making any sandcastle. <laughs> oh, it is, and the pictures in here are really incredible. They have a picture of a they call it a sand castle it's just a cylinder because they use pvc pipe and tamped the sand mm-hmm. uh, i mean they have one that's a seven centimeter diameter and it's massively tall it is really big <laughs> it is yeah yeah it's impressive that that kind of column can stay together at that height right and you know they so they talk about well what could we change to make these turn out taller they said well we could use hydrophobic sand because we can't change g (laughs) and uh, they also said they could decrease the effective density by plunging it underwater they said but of course that doesn't really work for regular (laughs) sand hence the the hydrophobic sand uh exactly which i do totally appreciate the hydrophobic sand picture which is a picture of little fish going in and out of these hydrophobic sand columns in in a tank and I actually don't know, would this be like the, uh, you know, the moon sand? That... I know. That's, I mean, that would be a different density, I would think. Um, 
I wonder if that is. Obviously, we have some at home. I should put it in water and see what it does. <laughs> I bought some moon sand a while back because my sole purpose was to put it in our shearing apparatus here and see if it's oh. velocity strengthening or not. Uh, we, just, <laughs> we just haven't got around to that yet. Uh, this is what scientists do with the big expensive equipment is just stick stuff in it and see what happens. But, <laughs> I, I mean, love it. <laughs> maybe it could be a nature paper. You know, you never know. You never know. We, uh, I've got a publication that hopefully will be out soon that came from a completely insane reason to shear baking flour. Uh, see? Exactly. So you put some random stuff in this thing that's supposed to break rocks, and you learned a lot of new things about what happens in shear zones. So, well, that is our pick for Fun Paper Friday. It's a really short paper, and (laughs) you should definitely read it and try to do this experiment. I think when it gets warm enough here this summer, I might have to try to recreate their results. Oh, absolutely. I can see some big-time... some big time contests about the different the height of your sandcastle that you can get <laughs> coming yes, th- up in th- our this future. This could change sandcastle competition. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Excellent. Well, don't forget to tell us what you're reading. Use the hashtag #FunPaperFriday on Twitter or on Facebook, and we'll see what you find. Maybe we can feature it on a future show. So, in the meantime, Shannon, how do they get a hold of us? Well, they can get a hold of us by email show at don'tpanicgeocast.com they can always leave a comment or a voice comment on our website don'tpanicgeocast.com and on twitter at don'tpanicgeo right you can find me online i'm johnrleeman.com or at geo underscore leeman on twitter shannon is at shannon doolin we would like to thank those of you that have written reviews or rated us on the itunes store And if you haven't, please remember to go do that. It helps us, and it helps us get us out to people that would also enjoy the show. So take a couple minutes and do that, and don't be afraid to send us your voice comment and let us play you on the air. Until next time, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not 